Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. We're just thankful to be a part of a family, a church family that loves God, loves one another, and loves the people in our world all around us. Um, the Bible says that we have been placed here as followers of Jesus Christ, literally brothers and sisters in a church family, so that we can love one another and in turn, our oneness, our unity can reach out and demonstrate to the world that Jesus is who he says he is, our Savior and Lord. Um, I shared a little bit about our trip to Great Britain. You guys were so awesome last year to give us a gift uh, after decades of service here. And we finally used that uh, travel gift to go to Great Britain in May. Got to take uh, my wife and three sons. We got to go and travel around. It was a lot of fun. But for me, there were some moments I was really looking forward to. And they had to do with Oxford. And it had to do with C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where... Someone who's poured into your life, whether you know them or you've read their stuff, you show up in a moment where they were, and it was pretty awesome and, and pretty overwhelming for me. 45 years I've been reading J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, and I'm only 30. Um, <laughs> 45 years, since junior high, I've been reading these books, you know, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and the Space Trilogy and then the Chronicles of Narnia and all that stuff. And I mean, these guys were friends and their friendship as professors, as tutors at Oxford uh, impacted not just their community, but it reverberates. I mean, books like Mere Christianity, uh, you know, books like The Screwtape Letters, you know, that has profoundly impacted faith today. Many people have come to Jesus because of those two men and they hung out together and they had another larger group called the Inklings and they would get together on Tuesdays at a pub and on Thursdays in an office and they would share their writings and sometimes they'd get heated and angry about Tolkien talking about elves one more time and you know it's just like forget the elves let's talk about something important you know but they died and one of the moments that was impacting to me was standing at their gravesite. Now, these guys are long dead, okay? I, I wasn't even a follower of Jesus when they'd already passed away. But to stand there and to consider how they poured into me was a, was a moment. Have you ever had a moment where you stand at someone's gravesite, someone that has 
done so much for you, whether you knew them or not. It could be a mom or dad or grandma or grandpa and or uncle. It could have been a teacher. And you reflect on their life and their sacrifice. Anybody ever have a moment like that? It's kind of like holy ground, isn't it? It's like a sacred moment. And um, our family enjoyed a nice pub food uh, there at one of the pubs they used to hang out. And we talked a lot about the friendship, their love for one another, their love for writing, their love for Jesus and how it has changed just countless generations for Jesus. And what would that look like if somebody one day were to stand at our grave and it would become a holy moment for them, a sacred space where somehow the effect of our lives, whatever that might mean, they would look and go, that person drew me closer to Jesus. You know, we don't often like to go to grave sites, right? Because it's kind of different, right? My wife and I, uh, 23 years ago this summer, we went to Normandy, northern France there. We walked Omaha Beach. We went to the American Cemetery. That's holy ground. Thousands of young men, many of them not even 18 because they lied <laughs> to get in, fought for freedom. And Europe was freed because of the blood of these young men who died on that beach. And now we, as a culture and a nation, we have to say thank you for those that have gone before us. It was a holy moment for us. It was a sacred space. Today, we're going to stand at one of those sacred spaces. We get to stand at a holy moment because we get to read in the writings of Luke in Acts chapter 6 and 7 about the very first person that died for Jesus. The very first person that stood there and proclaimed the faith that he had and it resulted in his death. We call him the first Christian martyr. It's interesting the word martyr because it really means a witness. It means someone who just declares what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced. You get called into a court of law and you're up there and the judge says, you know, what did you see? What did you hear? The attorneys ask the questions. That's all you are. You're a martyr. Why is it, though, that now the word martyr means someone who dies for their faith, a religious person that dies for their belief because of Stephen and because of the first 300 years of Christianity? The word just used to mean a witness. And because from the years around 33 AD when Jesus died to 325 AD when Christianity official, officially became legal, there were seven or eight massive waves of persecution that swept through the Roman Empire. Some lighter than others, some so intense that thousands and thousands and millions died. It's estimated now that 70 million Christians, to this date, 70 million Christians have been killed because of their faith in Jesus. And now they're martyrs, they're witnesses. Uh, there's an early church father. Uh, <laughs> I, love, I love the text. It's, uh, it's from Tertullian, and let me, let me get there. And um, it's on the screen. He said this, uh, 197 AD, crucify us, torture us, condemn us, destroy us. Your injustice is the proof of our innocence. This is in the middle of intense persecution. If you come to Christ, you die. In fact, many of the people who put Christians to death, immediately responded 
to become Christians, and then they were killed as well. Those that saw in the circuses, the, the Roman uh, gladiator games, Christians destroyed by gladiators or, or animals or wild beasts, immediately were shamed and became believers in Christ, and then they were thrown in. He says, crucify us, torture us, condemn us, destroy us. Your injustice is the proof of our innocence. When we are condemned by you, we are acquitted by God. And then the famous line, the blood of the martyrs, the witnesses for Jesus, who now we say gave their life for a religious purpose. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And so today we get to stand at Stephen's last stand. And we get to see him speak. We get to see him killed for Christ. And I think it's a holy moment for us. Because I think in our culture today, in our world today, we need to take a stand for Christ. I'm not talking about being an idiot. Don't be an idiot. If you're an idiot, don't tell him you go to sunrise or that you know me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a faithful witness for Jesus Christ. If you stand on the street corner and scream at people in a bullhorn, don't come to Sunrise Church, okay? The love of Christ should compel us to share the message of Jesus. And maybe that'll take on different forms for you and different styles for you, but we should all be boldly proclaiming our faith in Jesus. And as we do that, we won't always be received. And today we get to stand at the first guy who was rejected, just like his Savior was, who was killed just like his Savior was. And we get to hear his words. So I want to jump in the story. Now it's two chapters. So we won't be getting out of here till 4 a.m. Um, no, I'm not going to read his whole sermon. It's a really good sermon. You can read it in Acts chapter 7. We're just going to look at a little bit of like an intro. This guy, like who is this guy, Stephen? And then we're going to look at the message and then we're going to look at the response. And then I want us to look at ourselves. And in doing so, I want us to ask, are we that bold? Are we that fearless? Are we that outspoken with the message of Christ? Because people need to hear it. And even if we are that bold and outspoken and fearless, what happens when we face resistance? Because I believe, and I, I may be just, you know, a few years older than some of you or maybe younger than some of you, I believe in our culture and our world we've seen a shift and a change that will only get to be a wider divide between the truth of Christ and the culture. And it's up to us to fill in that gap and share boldly our faith in Jesus and not worry about the results. Leave that to God, even not worry about how people might resist us. So let's jump in here. I want to pray and we'll get going. Father, thank you for Stephen and his story. It is holy ground. It's a sacred moment that we get to stand at his grave, as it were, and witness what he did. And it should move us and shake us to our core because... Maybe our context is different. Maybe it's not so different. But his faith should be the same as ours. His boldness, the amount he was overflowing with you, should be exactly what's going in our lives today. And as we do that and live in a world that increasingly pushes away Christ, Father, we might find ourselves being pushed away too. But may we boldly proclaim in spite of what may happen. In your name we pray, amen. Now, here's my question for today. If we don't know what we'll die for, how would we know what we would live for? If we don't know what we would die for, how would we know what we would live for? You know, the old joke is true. It's probably true in my house, you know. We say, hey, you die for your spouse, but you can't pick up your socks that are dirty on the floor, you know. Can't empty the dishwasher. You know, it's, I'm not talking about a romantic, I'll give my life for this thing. I'm talking about really, 
that I have a bold belief of faith in Jesus that I'd be willing to be killed for it. Now, I don't think everybody has that in the room today or watching online. It's just honest. Some of us are here. Some of us are looking. Some of us are kind of observing. Some of us have been in church so many years we don't even know we don't have a relationship with God. We just go to church, right? But there are some of us and many of us, I hope, that if push came to shove, we would be willing to suffer pain, punishment, and even death for believing in Jesus. And so these words speak to that. And if you don't believe that yet, maybe this will convince you of it. So we're going to look at a story. It takes up two chapters, um, and, but I'm going to jump into Acts 6. This is kind of the first part where we see this guy, Stephen. It says here, um, the apostles were experiencing this tension because the church was growing, exploding actually. And, and some women, some widows were not being fed properly. There was discrimination, racial discrimination with the feeding. And, and so they have to deal with this. And they said, the apostles said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Not that serving tables is bad. That's not what they're saying. They're not above that. They're just saying we're called to do these things. We need to get some other people called to do these things. And so they said this, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. Notice this, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And we looked at that uh, a number of weeks ago when I got to share about Jesus going out in the wilderness to be led by the Spirit, to be tempted. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And the word means to be abundant, overflowing. It's kind of like you you filled the coffee cup out there so much it spills all out, right? You know, you're overflowing with it. Or maybe you're like lemonade or iced tea, that's fine. But you filled it up so much that it's overflowing. This guy was overflowing. He was overflowing with the spirit and wisdom. He says, and pick some of these guys, seven of them, who will appoint to this duty, but we'll devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen. He's the first guy mentioned. And here he is full, overflowing, abounding in faith and the Holy Spirit. So this is a guy, we don't know if he's a young guy. I imagine he's a young guy, all right? I just don't know. But I always pictured him as like a young 20-something, ready to serve, ready to jump in. Just this guy, just so excited in his faith. He may or may not have seen Jesus, been a witness to it. Maybe he was one of the 3,000 that came to faith when Peter got up and preached that message. But, you know, I just kind of wonder and I kind of imagine, here's this guy just so excited. He's got so much energy. He's just raring to go. God. He's full of the spirit and wisdom, full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And he says, they chose Stephen and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They set them before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on him. This is really good. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many priests became obedient to the faith. That's kind of cool. These are even some of the people that denied Christ. They come to faith in Jesus. So Stephen was, was overflowing with the Holy Spirit, overflowing with wisdom, overflowing with faith. He had this firm conviction. Faith is an interesting word because he was filled of faith. It, it's not just the idea of, of noticing something. I, I was talking to uh, my son, uh, Noah, uh, last, last Sunday. We were, we were driving, or Seth, we were driving out of church, and I was talking about faith. And, you know, in, the, in Latin, faith has several levels. This is not in your notes, so this is free. Next service won't get it Um, because I won't be sidetracked. Um, There's this uh, notitia, and if you know Latin, excuse my pronunciation, I'm butchering the language, but uh, to notitia, which is to notice, it's like, oh, I see that. I I see you. I see you. Okay. Uh, I'll I'll pick up Mike because I was mean to him earlier, but so I notice Mike. I notice Mike. I have this head 
you know, acceptance. Oh, Mike's here. Okay. Then there's um, essentius, which is to ascend to. So you accept it as, as some kind of viability. You can notice it out there. You can accept it. So I, 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 Mike is someone I know and I accept and I've been in circles with. And then there's fiducia, which is what we would call faith, right? It's, it's, a, it's a grounded belief and trust in. And I know him as a personal friend. This guy, Stephen, was a man full of faith, and it's the idea of trusting. And again, many of us have a knowledge of Jesus. We notice him. Uh, some of us go deeper. We ascend to the fact that he is maybe something special, and we read the Bible and accept that, but we're still kind of afar. But some of us, and hopefully all of us one day, have ascended to the point of fiducia where we put our faith and trust in him it's like this stool that i'm on i i saw it over there i noticed it i grabbed it picked it up it was sturdy but i had to sit on it right i had to sit on it. i had to put my faith and trust in it stephen was a man of firm conviction and the idea of the word is to persuade he was persuaded about jesus and he persuaded others so here it is He's got a faith to share. He's full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith. And then it goes on down in verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power. Can I say it without being offensive? This guy's full of a lot of stuff, all right? All right, he is, but good stuff. He's full of it. I mean, he's full of faith and power, full of grace and power, the Holy Spirit, wisdom. This guy is overflowing with Jesus because he's walking with him. He was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, these are Jewish people. They're not believers in Christ yet. Um, and of those of uh, Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Lycia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. He just, he just stood there and, and, and the overwhelming experience he had with Jesus just flowed out of him and they couldn't refute it, right? They, they tried, but they couldn't. So they secretly instigated men who said, uh, by the way, secretly instigated means that they paid them off. That's a euphemism for they bribed people to lie. Hold on. These are religious people. <laughs> religious people bribed others to lie. Sounds like what happened in the time of Jesus, right? They couldn't fault him for anything, so they bribed people to lie. We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses. Blasphemy is, um, is this idea of maybe uh, defaming God or God's teaching or whatever. And blasphemy was, um, was a death sentence, really. If, if the Jews had their way, if you were accused and convicted of blasphemy, you were killed. Blasphemy isn't something we even wink at today in America. We, we put it in movies, right? We, we parade it around. We highlight it, and it's kind of funny you know, in our culture. Uh, in, in Muslim countries, in Muslim countries today, you can be killed for blasphemy. You can be, the same way you can be stoned, the same way they did it here. Um, people who come to faith in Jesus and then they proclaim that are accused of blasphemy against the prophet and they're killed. So it's a pretty serious charge. And they accuse him of blasphemy, words against Moses and God, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. This is the uh, Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling body, the ultimate ruling body of the Jews. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against his holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Wouldn't it be interesting if, if the worst thing people could do is they had to just lie about you? 
<laughs> they couldn't find any fault in you. And so they had to make up stuff. That's what's going on here. Look at this, though. And gazing at him, Stephen, all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. Now, we don't really know what that means. I mean, there's speculation and commentaries that it could have been like Moses. Remember, Moses goes to the tent of meeting and he meets with God, pretty awesome. And then when he leaves, he's, he's glowing, right? He's just glowing. You, you saw Charlton Heston, right? Ten Commandments. He's got this wonderful glow, right? Could have been that. Or it could have been just literally he had such peace. He had such security in himself that he wasn't phased. I'd like to think that he was glowing. That makes the story that much more exciting, right? But the reality is he was peaceful. How many of us would be peaceful in that moment? Confident in that moment? Not anxious in that moment? Not fearful in that moment? How many of us, now maybe for us, when we proclaim the truth of Jesus, do so with a humility but a boldness? that we're not afraid of what may happen as we speak the words of Christ with a confident assurance that we're overflowing with the spirit, overflowing with hope and faith and all these things that when we share this truth, we're not afraid that people may scorn or mock us or turn away, right? This is, this is Stephen. He's not afraid. Uh, so he begins this long sermon, which we're, we're not going to speak about, but it's, he recounts God's faithfulness to Jewish people. He basically starts in Genesis and gets to the end of the Hebrew Bible. So he just preaches the whole Bible, okay? But chapter 7, verse 51, this is the end result. He's been sticking a knife into this religious people's lack of faith in Jesus, and he turns the knife. And I believe knowing what's going to happen. Look what he says. You stiff-necked people. Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people hadn't come out yet. So they don't teach this in business school, right? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised in your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Now, he's not being a jerk. He's just being honest, right? He says, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. This is great. Just like Peter, when he preached this sermon, said, you killed him. Get right. He does the same thing. Which you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law and delivered as delivered by angels and did not keep it. This guy knows how to speak to the heart of religious people, and he cuts deep. Uh, one thing is true. He's not afraid to speak the truth. He, he says stiff-necked people. That is something used in the Bible. It's used a lot in the Old Testament. Some of the kings were stiff-necked, and it's, it's, it's really kind of a cool picture because it's an agricultural metaphor when you would have a, a team of oxen, so two animals together. If one wanted to go a different direction and you're trying to keep it straight with the plow and the one ox is trying to go straight and the other ox is going off it's because his neck is going this that's a stiff neck it's a great picture it's a great picture um, some of us know stiff necked people if they're in the room don't point to them right <laughs> stiff neck they refuse to turn they've hardened their neck to not turn towards christ right? He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised hearts. It means they had the outward expression physically. They were circumcised males, Jews as leaders, but their heart hadn't come to Christ. They were trusting in their religion, not 
They didn't really have a relationship. They actually had the word of God, which was delivered by angels, uh, talking about Moses and receiving this, and they didn't believe it. They accepted religion over truth. Stephen draws his speech to a close by pointing out their sin. And he says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. This is another metaphor to uh, clench your teeth. Um, some of the passages say they were gnashing their teeth. I, I like gnashing. That sounds like a, you know, an animal just, you know, just crunching the teeth. They're grinding their teeth. They're so angry. They're grinding their teeth at him. But he, once again, overflowing with, full of the spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, this is interesting because Hebrews tells us that once Jesus offered the sacrifice, once for all, once he gave his life for that, and, and it's kind of a weird picture of a heavenly temple and, and altar and everything, he as high priest sat down because it was done. The high priest never got to sit down but because the job was never finished, right? It was constantly blood flowing. Jesus finished it and he sat down, okay? So Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, but not right now. Jesus is standing. That's kind of cool. All of us as believers in Jesus long to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, right? We want to enter into God's kingdom knowing that what he invested in us, we invested for him and there was a result. And it doesn't really matter the result. Maybe some of you it's multiple times or 10 times multiple or 30 or uh, whatever. That's okay. Forget that. Don't worry about it. Just don't bury it. If you bury it, you're not going to hear these words. But we all long to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And we all have friends and family who we know were so faithful to Christ that when they passed from this life to the next, they heard that welcome message at the door, metaphorically the door of heaven, right? But to have Jesus stand up to receive him and welcome him, that's pretty awesome. That Jesus stood to welcome Stephen and he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. <laughs> This is, this is awesome. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Sounds like toddlers, right? It's like, I don't want to hear what you're saying, right? They're enraged at the very words that Jesus would be standing next to God, the son of man. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, which is a whole other part of the rest of Acts, which is great. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And that's a euphemism for dying. Does that sound like anybody you know? <laughs> Who, when he was being killed, he cried out, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And Lord, receive my spirit, just like his Savior, just like Jesus. Um, the ESV translates this. It says they were enraged. When they heard this, they were enraged. But it, it literally means cut to the heart. And, and again, I love the beautiful metaphors in this passage because it was a word used in, of, of sawing through like a trunk and you see the inside exposed. They were cut to the heart because they could not fake it anymore he had exposed them for their religious hypocrisy and they couldn't handle that and so they rushed at him put their hands over their ears and they drug him out of the city 
and they started casting stones at him. Stoning was, um, Old Testament stoning, New Testament stoning, not today's stoning, um, was a form of punishment. Now think about this, that obviously resulted in death, but it was safe to be a part of the stoning mob because no one would ever be able to be proven as the one that threw the final blow. It was a communal death sentence. And you could pick up your stone and you could throw it knowing you were a participator in, but you didn't know or you could never know if you did the final blow. And so people were safe. It was a communal way to kill someone. Jewish leaders' attempt to stamp out the church failed to do that. In fact, this is a defining moment in the book of Acts um, when Jesus had said to go out in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. They had gone to Jerusalem, Judea. They had not gone to Samaria, the ends of the earth yet. This moment pushed them out. It started a persecution, a Jewish persecution of the Christians, and they scattered, which was exactly what they were supposed to do. And so even though this was not a good thing, God used it as a good thing and scattered them. Um, have you ever seen a bunch of dandelions, the yellows, you know, and you see them all over and you know that when they turn to white, what's, what's, what's going to happen? The wind is going to pick them up and take them everywhere. And if you know anything about landscaping, that's horrifying because <laughs> you can't control it. You can't contain it, right? And that's what happened. The blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. And the early Christians, when they were huddled together in Jerusalem, were now blown like the wind to be planted and to blossom and to replicate themselves to others. But it also meant that the Jewish leaders had free reign now. They felt confident. And we see later Saul, who becomes Paul, was one of those guys who were viciously dragging people to their death. Now, what about us? I want to close with this thought here. Um, I'm going to say this, and you're going to go, duh, okay. But we live in a world that's increasingly resistant to Jesus. We live in a world that's increasingly distancing themselves from God's truth. We live in a world that calls right wrong and wrong right. Now, I could say we've always lived in that. But some of you who are older, maybe older than me, have seen it. You can chronicle it, but we've seen it. Maybe if you're, you know, young, you don't know because it's the only world you grew up in, right? You've always grown up knowing that Darth Vader was Luke's father. You just were never surprised. <laughs> When the Empire Strikes came back, strikes out, uh, came out, you're like, of course he was. The rest of us saw it in the theater. We're like, what? No way. That can't be. Many of us have grown up in a world that has changed and shifted uh, dramatically in the last 10, 20 years even. And some of you just don't know that. Trust us. It didn't look like that as a kid. Okay? Because now the the world's proclaiming right is wrong and wrong is right. In fact, it sounds just like Isaiah chapter 5. Look at this, verses 20 to 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Kind of like the book of Judges says it twice. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king. And we all thrown off. God is king. And we do whatever is right, and we stand there and proclaim it, and we live it. And if you dare, if you dare push against that, or you dare speak against it, you are the offensive person. You are the horrible person in our culture. You are the hater in our culture. 
So my question today is this, are we willing to look at the example of Stephen and to be bold with our faith? Because that boldness of faith, even though it led to his death, and I do not think that any of us in our lifetime, maybe, maybe my lifetime, not, if you're 18, maybe, will be killed for faith in Jesus in America, but we definitely won't be liked for faith in Jesus. Are we willing to stand up and be bold with our faith, not worrying about the outcome? Not, again, not a jerk. You can't be a jerk. Jesus was never a jerk. Stephen wasn't a jerk, but he turned the knife when he needed to, to speak the truth. Because if we don't know what we'll die for, how will we know what we should live for? So two thoughts to close with, just two thoughts maybe to take home. Um, I, got, I got these from one of my commentaries. I thought it was just outstanding. Number one, when you proclaim Christ, the world will ultimately resent you, not support you. Yeah, there was a day you could do open-air evangelism or you could preach or whatever. I don't know. There was a day when you could share with all your friends and family. There was a day, whatever, okay. That doesn't exist anymore, all right? It's increasingly against us. When you proclaim Christ, the world will ultimately resent you, not support you. People don't like to be confronted with the reality of their sinfulness. They just don't. And, and the darker the world gets, the stronger the lightness is. I don't know if you noticed the hallways down here and the, and the restrooms. I, I don't know about the women's, but I was in the men's, okay? They put LED lights everywhere. It's far too bright for me, okay? It's stark. It's like shattering, right? Ah, you know, I like a little warmer hue. But I can't walk the hallway without going, man, what's going on here? That's faith in Jesus. And the world will have to shield their eyes to it, avert themselves to it, or push back and resist it. Because the darker the world gets, the stronger our light gets, right? They will resent and one day reject you. Do, don't, don't think you're going to be applauded for talking about Jesus or living like Jesus. Because the world will eventually turn. And I think it is turning. Okay? And number two, when you respond with truth, the pressure will increase, not decrease. Do you notice the story of the religious people? This is, again, beautiful pictures, beautiful, tragic pictures in the story. They hardened their hearts, right? They stiffened their necks. They ground their teeth. They closed their eyes and they picked up stones. That's people who don't want to hear the truth because you're cutting and sawing through and revealing for them the reality of the situation, and they can't handle it. And so they're enraged. The pressure will increase, not decrease. So friends, if, if the gospel is worth anything, if Jesus is worth anything, he's worth everything, right? What would it look like for us to be such a bold witness, a loving, please, a loving witness, a caring witness that we weep over people that are dying and going to hell, but such a bold witness for Christ that we realize that life is too short, eternity is too long, and souls are too precious to just let them die and go to hell. What would it look like for us if we boldly proclaim it? I know one day we'll be rejected. We'll be resisted, but one day we'll be rejected. But do you love anyway? Please, let's not be like a lot of Christians, maybe the majority of Christians that look like chameleons, right? They try to blend in with the surrounding to be accepted. Please, let's not be like that. Again, don't be a jerk. Don't be a cactus where you're so prickly that you hurt people as you share with them. But be a catalyst for sharing the faith of Jesus Christ. Um, I, I love that idea that at the end it says that they, they close their 
their ears. Um, I have people in my life that have closed their ears. I don't know that they've stiffened their neck and hardened their heart, but it's probably the truth. Maybe you're here and, you know, you know people like that. Well, we boldly share the truth of Christ anyway. Just before his death, Stephen saw Christ standing. I'm going to share some words of Jesus. They're really hard. Luke 12, 8 to 9. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man is speaking of himself, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. That's harsh. And theologically, I don't really know what to do with all that. But are you willing to proclaim Christ? You can't do this, by the way, on your own power. Stephen didn't do it on his own power. Do not think that taking a couple evangelism courses will help you do this, okay? Those are good. I love evangelism courses, okay? I'm growing in that. But you can only do it when you're overflowing with Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who can do it, okay? God, God's the only one that can do it, okay? But he wants to do it in you and through you. You want to be full of the Holy Spirit. You want to be full of faith. You want to be full of wisdom. You want to be full of power, full of grace, full of love. It's got to flow through you. Now, as I was thinking about these ultimate religious people that rejected Christ, rejected Stephen, rejected Paul one day, I thought about myself. You know, I used to have a hard heart. It's the truth. I used to have a stick, a stiff neck. I used to have ears that were closed because I didn't want to hear it. I was a teenager doing my own thing. I had figured out a system of religiosity that would work for me until I died and hoped it would work out okay at the end. But I didn't want Jesus. I wanted to keep him at arm's length. And it was only the grace of God that brought some people into my life and the word of God into my life that resulted in my heart being softened. Man, my heart was hard, but God softened my heart. You remember those days? Some of you, it's a long time ago, but he softened your heart and then he softened your neck because <laughs> you had a stiff neck too. I had a stiff neck. I was already determined. I was going one way. You had a stiff neck, but he softened your neck and then he opened your ears, right? Jesus, through his words, the apostles, through their words, we see in their example, we see in their teaching that Satan has blinded the eyes. And it's only Jesus. It's only his power through his spirit who can open up the eyes of people. But I stand, sit here today as somebody a long time ago who had their heart softened and their necks softened and their ears opened up and the blinders taken off my eyes. And if that's happened to you, how can you just ignore the fact that people right next to you in your cubicle, in your neighborhood, in your workplace are in the same condition and they're bound to an eternity apart from Christ? Friends, only Jesus can do that in you because he did it in you and he wants to do it through you. And that's what we need to be in a culture and a world that's shifting. It was only God's grace that did it for me. Um, this will appeal to people that are as old as me, but I was working uh, a couple months ago. I, was, I, I took some time off. I was working in the garage on my car, and I was listening to music, and I decided to listen to like a whole anthology of, a, of an old dead guy, and um, Keith Green. Oh, yeah. Can I get a witness? Yeah. So a couple of his songs, just, I just kept putting on repeat, 
And one was so important to me because it had been out two years when I came to Christ. And he was one of the first Christian artists I heard I got to see. And uh, this is what he says in this song. Like a foolish dreamer trying to build a highway to the sky. All my hopes would come tumbling down. I never knew just why. Until today, when you pulled away the, cur the clouds that hung like curtains on my eyes, I've been blind all these wasted years, and I thought I was so wise. And then you took me by surprise. He did it for you. He did it for you, and he used followers of Jesus to reach your hard heart, your stiff neck, your ears that were clogged, your eyes that couldn't see, and he's wanting you to do it for others. And he's inviting you on this blessed journey that you can only do with him. Don't try it in your own power. You will fall flat. <laughs> but full of the Holy Spirit, you can share the gospel this week and leave those results to God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the message that we have salvation through Christ, but we don't proclaim it as religious people that stand there better than anybody else. Far from that. God forbid we are broken and hurting and we're still struggling and we're still on the journey, Lord. May we, though, with boldness proclaim the message of Christ in a world that's increasingly dark, increasingly resistant, not thinking naively that people will necessarily like the message, but that our boldness would come from a spirit-filled life and the words out of our mouth would be the words of Jesus in grace and truth, offering hope and salvation to others. Father, activate us to be the message of Jesus this week. We pray in your name. Amen.